It is good to be with you, and I couldn't wait for the summer to be over to be here. And uh, I, I do, before we have prayer and do the sermon, I do want to share a testimony. And uh, I shared it with Ron uh, this week, because it just happened this week. And uh, so we were living in Alliance, and we were in a, in a duplex. And, you know, things are happening. We thought, you know, we need to, we need to get something out in the country here. So... So we, we saw a place that was over North Bloomfield. I don't know if you know where that is. That's like an hour east of here. And then there was this little place out in the country in Adena, Ohio, about two hours and 15 minutes from here. Uh, that was out in the country, and we were looking at that, and our place is selling, and I'm kind of, and the people came down so low on the price in Adena, I just could not not buy it, you know. So I bought it, and then, and this is what, May? Yeah. Yeah, and then about a month later, Ron calls me about working with the Brooklyn Church. And I thought, did I just buy the wrong house? <laughs> so anyway, I'm working during the summer and doing my floor work, and and I'm thinking in terms of I've got a minivan that gets 24 miles a gallon if I put high octane in it, you know. And I thought, man, I, I'm driving 125 miles one way. And I'm thinking, wow, I've got to, I got to make good use of my time and things like that. And I'm looking for maybe a diesel beetle at 50 miles a gallon or something, you know. And, uh, and so I finish my summer and I, I get back here. I've been back for like two weeks and I'm just rushing to fix this house up because it needs fixing up. And I didn't want to have a bunch of work to do when the work starts here. And last Sunday, it occurred to me because I hadn't been thinking about selling. And it occurred to me, you know, this house actually isn't mine. It's God's. And what if he wants me to sell it? And uh, so that's this past Sunday. Monday, I'm thinking, yeah, and I come up with a price. I thought, okay, I'll know God's in it if I get this for this place. Well, Tuesday, Alina and I are going out to dinner. It's our 30th anniversary. And it's not probably the best time to talk about selling your house at your dinner, at your anniversary, right? But anyway, <laughs> so I said, I think we need to put the place up for sale in case God wants to sell it. So the next day, Wednesday morning, I get a knock on the door, and a young man comes by, and uh, he wanted to know if he could, and I knew him because we had talked about doing church work here, and I said, Alina's going to school in North Canton. And he said, you know, this past Sunday, the same day that God impressed me to maybe put it up for sale, he said, we were talking amongst ourselves that if you were ever interested in selling your house, we'd be interested in buying it. And I thought, well, <laughs> Sunday is when I had the impression that maybe maybe we ought to sell. And I says, but I have to have it this amount of money. And I says, I can sell it for this without a realtor. And sell it for this with a realtor. And I says, will you just go pray with your fiancé and and come back? And and I figured it would be a few days or something. And I said, I won't call a realtor. So I leave and I go to Lowe's, which is about a half hour away, to get some paint because i got some painting to do. And I get back and guess who's sitting in my driveway? It's the couple. And they had the forms to fill out to buy the house for exactly that sum of money. 
And, and I want you to keep it in prayer because as you'll learn here in my sermon how important I think visitations are. Because if you're going to be successful in doing outreach, it's something we're all doing together. And my role is not just to preach to you. That actually is the very small part of it. It's really to visit and be working closely with you and finding opportunities for all of us to do ministry. And so, um, and my work's not to do your work. My work, if I'm successful, is for you to be successful. Because if you're not successful, then I failed. That's just the bottom line. Because I think that's the biblical role of a pastor. And so, so I thought, you know, being two hours and 15 minutes away at best with no traffic is going to make that kind of hard. So just keep it in prayer. I think the Lord has this buyer. Of course, we got to go through the process. And um, so I'm excited about it. I'm excited to be here. And if I have to drive two hours and 15 minutes one way, I'm still excited. But I prefer to drive one hour <laughs> one way. I mean, that's a lot of vi- or you know audio books to listen to, but um, I can do that. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we just give you the thanks and praise because this is your church. And we are your people. And you have given us Brooklyn and this greater Cleveland area as our Jerusalem. And Father, we are committed to get this message out to all these precious souls around us. We don't know who's ready to run right now, but we're asking that you use us in your service. And Father, we know that we have no power without the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. So Father, we do want to be filled. And we want to walk with thee. And we want to have that oil in our lamps. That we not only know this truth, but that you'll use us in your service to share what we have freely received. So Father, grace us with your presence. May our worship give you the honor and praise of which you are worthy. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I was wondering what, what to preach here, I was reminded of this statement in First Selected Messages, page 156. Christ, the great teacher, had an infinite variety of subjects from which to choose. But the one upon which he dwelt most largely was the endowment of the Holy Spirit. Now, the endowment of the Holy Spirit means that God will empower us with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had a variety of subjects from which to teach. I could teach about a hundred different topics today. But there is one in which Jesus spoke the most about. Because without us receiving the Holy Spirit, we could have all the knowledge in the world. But without that oil in our lamps, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lamps, we're going nowhere. We're still going to be here. And so what actually becomes the most essential for us is to know about the Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about the most and talking about how to receive it. Because that's what gives us the power to go out and be successful, not just in our personal experience, but to attract people to this message. And God will do great things. We are preparing for the latter rain that cannot be that far away. Because you see, prophecy is fast fulfilling right before our eyes. There are people who are in control and moving in such a way. I'd be surprised, and I can't say one, two, three, or five years. 
But I think time is very short. And we don't have a day to lose. Every day is a day to get a fresh supply of grace of the Holy Spirit in our life to gain strength every day, to be a blessing every day, and to prepare us for the greatest time in Christian history. A great time that's just before it, of which all of us can take a part and say, we were there when the gospel was finished. Oh, what what a privilege. So... Why is it that Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit and us receiving the Holy Spirit more than anything he ever shared with his disciples? And from the devotional book, My Life Today, page 46. The Holy Spirit is the breath of spiritual life in the soul. The impartation of the Holy Spirit is the impartation of the life of Christ. It is by the Spirit that the heart is made pure. Through the Spirit, the believer becomes a partaker of the divine nature. When the Spirit of God takes possession of the heart, it transforms the life. Sinful thoughts are put away. Evil deeds are renounced. Love, humility, and peace take the place of anger, envy, and strife. Joy takes the place of sadness. And the continence reflects the joy of heaven. Somehow we have to, on a daily basis, mesh together the message and being filled with the Holy Spirit to be putting on Christ every day to be more like him in thoughts and feelings, seeing people like he does, uh, treating people like he does, where the anger and the envy and all goes away. And what's in us, in replacing that, is the patience and the long-suffering and the forgiveness and the love. And when you combine the love of Jesus and the patience of Jesus and the humility of Jesus with this message, it is a revival that will start that the devil can't stop. And that's what we need. Now, Christ gave an object lesson of this. And this is found in uh, Testimonies of Ministers, page 506. In the east, the former rain falls at sowing time. It is necessary in order that the seed may germinate. Under the influence of the fertilizing showers, the tender shoots spring up. The latter rain, falling near the close of the season in the fall, ripens the grain and prepares it for the sickle. Now notice what she says here. The Lord employs these operations of nature to represent the work of the Holy Spirit. As the dew and the rain are given first to cause the seed to germinate and then to ripen the harvest, so the Holy Spirit is given to carry forward from one stage to another the process of spiritual growth. The ripening of the grain represents the completion of the work of God's grace in the soul. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the moral image of God is to be perfected, perfected in the character. We are to be wholly transformed into the likeness of Christ. The latter rain ripens earth's harvest, represents the spiritual grace that prepares the church for the coming of the Son of Man. But unless the former work, that former rain in the spring, has fallen, there is no life. The green blade will not spring up unless the early showers have done their work 
and the latter rain can bring no seed to perfection. So, you notice how the, the corn grows, for example, in Ohio. They plant the corn in Ohio around May 20 to June 1. And when you're driving along through the, through the countryside and all of a sudden you see just the blade, that seed dies, but those early rains allows that seed to germinate and come to life. But that's not simply the purpose of corn, is it? It's just to be a blade. And so this plant needs sunshine and constant rain, right? To grow from one stage to the next until it reaches what? The whole purpose of which God gives, which is our maturity in Christ Jesus. To prepare us for a harvest. And this is what's true. Jesus will not come until the corn is ripe. No farmer harvests his corn in July because in July it's only knee high by the 4th of July. But it's part of the process. It's part of that growth. So at the age of 20, not growing up in a Christian home, I became a blade. By accepting Christ and God letting me know for the first time in my life, he'd been trying to tell me my whole life. But it wasn't until the age of 20 that I realized that God loved me and spiritual life began. Just a blade. Is it all that God wanted in my life? No, he wants me to be the full corn in the ear, right? Complete, mature in Christ Jesus. But to go from a blade to being a full corn in the ear takes what? The sunshine and the rain day by day. And every day has to be a day of what? A day of growth. And that's part of what we're going to talk about because the title of this sermon is The Holy Spirit and Church Growth. That for us to be successful, all of us have to be doing what every day? Growing. We got to continue to grow. And the more we grow, the more God can use us out in the field. And you can't separate those two things. So when we talk about visitations, one of the things I want to visit you about is to talk about a devotional life. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But a devotional life. But I think for all of us just to remember at this point, as an object lesson, we have to begin to grow every day. We begin to grow. We need to continue to mature. Every day is important because obviously we as God's people haven't reached what yet? We haven't reached maturity yet. Right now, he cannot entrust us with the latter rain. We're not ready. But when we're ready, it will happen. But it's day by day. You don't get a full corn in a day. It just takes time. We grow each and every day. Now, how do we receive the Holy Spirit every day? And this is how, how do we grow every day? And at Review and Herald, May 5th, 1896, Sister White says, The measure of the Holy Spirit we receive will be proportioned to the measure of our desire 
and faith exercised for it. And the use we shall make of the light and knowledge that shall be given to us. We shall be entrusted with the Holy Spirit according to our capacity to receive and our ability to impart it to others. Now, one of the key words here is the word proportionate. And there's three things in this statement. In receiving the Holy Spirit and receiving that rain every day so that we can go from a blade and just keep growing and keep maturing and maturing is the first thing is to have a desire for it. To desire to be like Jesus, to desire to be mature in Christ, the desire to keep growing. That becomes very important and it's all proportional. How much do I really want this? How much do I really hunger to be like Jesus? And the more I want it, the more rain or Holy Spirit I have. The second component was the faith I exercised to receive it. So when I wake up in the morning and I have a desire to be like Jesus, it's not enough just to have a desire. I have to exercise my freedom of choice to actually be like Jesus. And I'm going to share with you one of the things I'm doing as a, a devotional. And I'm just starting it because I thought I'm going to share this with you today and maybe you'd like to do it too. That I'm going to read one, I'm going to read two chapters a day in the Gospels. I started with Matthew. Chapters 1 and 2. Because my desire is to be like Jesus. But I have to exercise my faith to be like Jesus. Which means I have to do something. Prayer and study. So what I'm doing is I'm reading the first, I'm reading two chapters a day and I'll read through the Gospels. That's 89 chapters. That will take 40 days basically. In 40 days... I'll have read through those Gospels, and with each chapter, I'm writing down one verse on a card. Well, actually, I'm writing down two right now. And I'm taking these cards with me to read during the day. Because Jesus says, you have to eat the flesh of the Son of Man. I don't want to just read two chapters. I want to read these chapters and find a couple verses in each chapter, or at least one verse, And then I want to eat those words. I want to take those words with me and read them and read them whenever I have time throughout the day so that that word's becoming what? A more part of me. And as that word becomes more of a part of me, does it affect my desire? Absolutely. It feeds my desire the more I know about Jesus to be like Jesus. And here's the thing from from a, I guess, more of a, a scientific point of view is that there's a real science behind devotions and becoming like Jesus because it's just a principle in mental health that 99% of your thoughts today are the thoughts you had yesterday that you have simply accumulated throughout your life. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the power of choice. That I don't have to tomorrow... Be the accumulation of the thoughts I've had my whole life that will dictate my thoughts today. If I want a new life to become more like Jesus, I have the power of choice to introduce new thoughts. Because what the power of choice does 
is it collapses the whole idea that I have to be the same person. I can be a different person in Christ Jesus. And I can be a different person because of the power of choice. And by exercising my faith to be like Jesus, I'll have new thoughts. And those new thoughts become future new thoughts. But if I don't take any time to have a devotional life to introduce spiritual things, then 99% of my thoughts are just my old thoughts. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we're preparing for the second coming of Christ, and there's a science, actually. Science supports getting ready for the second coming and having the mind of Christ, and that is by studying his life every day. And I want to encourage each one of us to find a time and a place every day to do that. And you don't have to do the two chapters like I'm doing. I'm also reading sketches from the life of Paul. And I want to share you a little testimony of something happened this week. Why it's always important for us to take something with us. Because you never know when you're going to have some time to use the power of choice to change the course of your thoughts to be the thoughts of Jesus. And there's a witnessing reason for this. I had to take my car in to get the brakes fixed. So I go in there, and there's a lady sitting in the waiting room, and she has her Bible open. And I thought, this is perfect. You know, <laughs> What an opportunity. And I said, well, which book of the Bible are you reading? She says, the book of Job. And so we start talking about the book of Job. And then I said... I'm reading a book on the life of Paul, sketches from the life of Paul. Now, if I didn't have this book in my hand, I couldn't say that. She says, I've never heard of that book. And in, the, in our discussion, I, she, I knew she went to this church that's uh, more of a Pentecostal church, and, and I knew they believed in the gift of prophecy and these different kinds of gifts. And I said, the writer of this book had the gift of prophecy, in fact, the most prolific writer of our time. And, of course, now she's more interesting because she's a Pentecostal and believes in all these spiritual gifts. And so so I start talking about this book, and I start talking about the prophet's code and other things, and we had a really nice discussion. So keep it in a prayer. Her name is Freedom. And I says, I think I got another copy of this book at home. Would you like to get a copy? And uh, she said, absolutely. So I'm going to meet with her this Tuesday to get her a copy. And we're just going to meet there in town. So her name is Freedom. And then she gave me the number of her pastor as well. So I called him, but I hadn't got a call back. But it brings up another point, and I'll get back to my sermon here. Ellen White talks about how we as Adventist pastors should talk to pastors of other denominations. And I thought, this is just a perfect, because if we do what God asks us to do, will he bless us? Let me ask you as far as a percentage. If God asks us to do A, and we do A, what is the percent possibility that God will give us the power to do it? It is actually 100%. Is there any percent that he would not do that? No, there's a 0% chance. So if we do everything God wants us to do, will he bless us? So I called him. I never got a call back, but I, I know that if... I come over here and I start calling pastors around here, which is what God's asking me to do. Will he bless? 
And let me, let me give you another example of this and how I know this works. We were helping start a school, um, like a day school for students, and we knew we were supposed to teach them a trade because that's part of the council. And we thought, well, what could we, what could be the trade that, and we thought, well, the publishing work, teach these kids how to run a printing press and how to put together a publication and do editing, copy editing. But we thought, well, we don't even have any printing equipment. So there was a statement in the Spirit of Prophecy that says that when you want to start a school or a sanitarium, who do you ask money from? The people in the world. And you know, I've been in self-supporting ministry. We always ask money from Adventists. And I thought, well, I've never done this. <laughs> Except for, you know, during church and in gathering, I've never gone out asking money from people who are not part of this church. But the council said, if you want to do this, go out there and you tell them what you're doing and they'll support it. I thought, I've never done this, but I'm going to do it. So I called the first print place. I said, we're a Christian school. We want to teach these kids a trade. We want them to learn the print trade. Would you have any printing equipment that you could donate to us and we'll give you a tax write-off? Absolutely. Come on by. So I had a flatbed pickup, came back with three printing presses and a plate maker. We needed more equipment, so I called the next place because God said, came back with more equipment. We had a full-fledged print shop by just following the council. I would have never even thought of doing that. But if you got printing presses, what do you need? You need ink, there you go, and you need paper, okay? So this was in Wisconsin, and Wausau Paper is just this huge paper mill. So I called Wausau Paper. I said, we're a Christian school. I want to teach these kids a trade, the print trade. Would you have any paper for us? And we give you a tax write-off. Sure, come on over. I don't know that anybody turned me down. See, God knew that we needed the paper, the ink, the printing equipment. He even provided someone to tell us how to run the thing, right? Because that's important. And so we start putting together a little publication called Pictures of Jesus, which the students would write and copy edit and format and print and go out in the community handing it out. But that would not have happened had we not done what? Followed the council. God has counsel for us. And I know that if we follow all of his counsel, he will bless us. If we take the work into our own hands... We're not going anywhere. But if we have a thus faith the Lord, it's good to go. God will bless. <clears throat> so we receive the Holy Spirit proportionally based upon our desire and the faith we exercise for it. So it's important that when we wake up in the morning, we actually express to God that we want to be like him. You know, the first angel's message opens up, says that we are to fear God and give him glory. The comment that we have in the spirit prophecy of giving God glory is when we choose to be like him. Actually, those who are going to give this three angels message actually have to glorify God, which means 
They're choosing to be like him. And so when we express with our whole heart how much we want to be like him and express that desire, will he bless us? And if we, according to counsel, exercise our faith to be like him, and you take the time to read the life of Jesus and take, write it out. Because if you write something out, you're five times more likely to do it than if you just read it. Because it's, you're using these, these senses. We, we read, we write, we speak, we listen. And if you do all those things, how we get information, it sticks better in here. So you read it, you write it, you listen. You share it, and it starts going into long-term memory. It becomes more part of us. Just a mental health principle. But the other part of it was to share it. That in receiving the Holy Spirit, it's not just wanting to be like Jesus and exercising our faith to be like Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit proportional to our willingness to Share Jesus. And if we wake up in the morning and we want to be like him and we exercise our faith like him and we make ourselves available. You know, we talked a little bit about abilities this morning. But what might be more important than abilities is availability. It's when we make ourselves available for God's service that we discover our abilities. So when I, and I want to read you a few statements here about um, visitations. But what I share with other pastors and, and uh, is the importance of visitation to ask at least these two things. What are we doing for a devotional life? Because if we have a devotional life, we're growing. But what is your interest? How do you see yourself fitting into this body of Christ? What would you like to do in ministry? Because my role is to help you do that. And I want you to think about it. I want you to think about a devotional life, which you probably already have. But if you don't have one, it's important to have one. It's a must. It's essential. But what's equally essential is defining an outlet of sharing your faith. That doesn't mean you have to stand on the street corner over here and preach. Kind words, kind acts, handing out literature here, there. You know, I was, I was telling Ron um, that I'd like to get extra. I'd like to pay some to get extra Sabbath school lessons because I know our teachers put a lot of time in preparing. But they don't have time to go out and tell people to come. But some of the rest of us could do that. And imagine if we had more people coming. Because the, the, the Sabbath school class is really to be evangelistic. And that's why I want some. I want people to come here for Sabbath school. People put their time in to teach these great lessons. And what an opportunity to hand them a quarterly. I don't know how much they cost, but I know I want to donate to that. And invite people that are right around here so they can just walk to this church, come here for Sabbath school, and the chances of them also coming for church are probably pretty high. But it's an important work for all of us to do, to do together. 
but finding an opportunity to minister. And I think if we all pray, Lord, how would you want to use me in this work? And that's what I want to know about each one of you in visitations, is to encourage you to have a strong devotional life and to find some sort of outlet. Now, I want to read a couple statements about visitations, and I'm not sure exactly how to go about it, if there's a little card here, or, but when I come here next time, if, if there was, I want you to pray about a time, you know, if there's people here who can meet during the day, because some people can only meet in the evening. But if I don't visit, and I don't know what your desires are for ministry, then I, I don't know how to help you. I don't know what to do to find that outlet for you. But I want you to pray about that. I want to read you a couple statements here. This is from a book called Pastoral Ministry. It's a compilation. And uh, and one of the reasons why I'm really praying that God will sell our house and we'll be able to move closer, because listen to this. Elder H. used to live here and preach to the people, but he was not a shepherd of the flock. He would tell the poor sheep that he would rather be horsewhipped than visit. He neglected personal labor, therefore pastoral work was not done in the church and its borders. Now, when I first read that, I, I kind of laughed at it because it just seemed kind of extreme for someone to have that kind of an attitude. But it tells you how important visitations are. Let me read you the next statement. Pastoral Ministry 223. The pastor should visit from house to house among his flock, teaching, conversing, and praying with each family and looking out for the welfare of their souls. Because that's the role. I'm completely unsuccessful if I don't do that. But it's in getting to know one another that we're able to help one another grow. And that takes time. You know, anybody can preach a sermon. As long as you can read and do some decent writing and organize your thoughts, you can get up here and preach. The harder work is when you get down from the pulpit. And you go down and you meet with people. But there's a training. We, we are a mission field. Not just within our church, but I mean, we have a, this is a training, a mission to reach out there before time runs out. I want to read you this next statement. It's pastoral ministry. Women who are willing to consecrate some of their time to the service of the Lord should be appointed to visit the sick, look after the young, and minister to the necessities of the poor. They should be set apart to do this work by prayer and laying on of hands. And I want to stop there. There's more to the statement. It's a ministry to visit the poor. That ministry needs to be recognized, and we recognize that by finding out where these abilities are and then have them anointed. You know, you can enjoy talking with people and getting people interested in topics, but what we want is you to be able to do that and share the gospel and have that talent anointed, have the talented anointed at desires to be with people who are suffering. And there's people like that in this church. If there was a person in this church who was suffering, I bet you right now there's at least one person here, it would bother them to see that person sitting by themselves suffering. They would want to sit right next to them and comfort them. Not everybody has that gift. But it is a gift. And that gift should be recognized and anointed. And that person is off to ministry. But part of it is getting to know how has God gifted us. And it goes on and says, This is another means of strengthening and building up the church. 
We need to branch out more in our methods of labor. Not a hand should be bound, not a soul discouraged, not a voice should be hushed. Let every individual labor, privately or publicly, to help forward this grand work. Place the burdens upon men and women of this church that they may grow by reason of exercise and thus become effective agents in the hand of the Lord for the enlightenment of those who sit in darkness. These two things, become more like Jesus, share Jesus. We receive more of the Holy Spirit. We're preparing ourselves and you know, once we get out into the field, and once we ha- once we taste making a difference in another person's life, what are we going to want to do? You're going to want to do it again. You know, if you got a jar of pickles, the hardest one to get out is what? It's the first pickle. But once you get out that first pickle, it's not so hard to get out the pickles. And once a person knocks on that first door. Once you give that first Bible study, once you do this first thing, it's all downhill from there. I mean, in a good way. It's easier. Maybe I should have said uphill, right? I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It gets easier, not harder. And you just use those talents. And that's really what I think my role is. But I don't think I'm alone. I think elders and others, anyone who, you you know, you don't have to be the pastor of the church to have the pastoral gift. The pastoral gift is a person who wants to be used by God to help train other people. You don't, you could have the gift of evangelism and not being an evangelist. You can talk about Jesus in such a way that people want to accept Jesus. But you don't have to work for amazing facts to do it. But we do need to recognize these gifts. And when everybody in the church knows that they're either a hand or an eye, it will really grow. And then when people come in here, they know that they don't become a Seventh-day Adventist just because they have a new set of doctrines. When they walk through those doors and they want to be a member, they're going to work. They got a mission. Because when Christ was baptized, what did he start doing? His ministry. Baptism is not just about what we believe. Baptism is about beginning a new life which includes ministering to the needs of suffering humanity. And that's when we're going to enjoy more of who we are and to share it with other people. Why would we follow God's counsel in all things? That's all we have to do. We just got to read the counsel and follow it. Why would we do that? Because it's going to work. Because it's going to work. And why wouldn't it work? God created this universe. Two billion stars in this galaxy. Two billion more plus galaxies out in the universe. He not only creates them, he sustains them. And if he says do A... And we do A, is it a guarantee? Absolutely, God's going to help us. But I want to close with the thought about the fruit of the Spirit. And let's close with Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. 
And this is a verse that's actually talking about Jesus. Who had the Holy Spirit more than anybody else. In Hebrews 1.9 it says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Jesus had the oil of gladness. What's the oil of gladness? It'd be the Holy Spirit. And it says, Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Who would be the fellows of Jesus? And it wouldn't just be the human race. It would be all those who are converted. Jesus wasn't just like the common sinner. Jesus was born of a woman, but also born of the Spirit. You might say he was born, born again in a way. But he always had the Holy Spirit. And he had the Holy Spirit more than anyone had ever had it. More than Enoch, more than Moses, more than Paul, more than John. But why did he have more of it? As you look at the text, it's because he loved what? He loved righteousness. If you and I want to have more and more of the Spirit, what do we need to love? We do need to love righteousness. And that would require spending time studying the life of him who is the righteous one. But he also perfectly hated what? Iniquity. He hated sin, but he didn't hate sinners. He died for sinners. But what he hates is what sin does to us. So this verse is teaching me that if I want more of the Holy Spirit, I need to love righteousness more. I need to hate sin more. And as I receive more of the Holy Spirit, that will be my experience. But as we think about the life of Jesus, what else do we know about him? That he always went about doing good. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit more than anyone else. And so the more I have of the Spirit, the more I'm going to do what? Good to others. And by doing good to others, does that put me in a better position to witness? Will it make me a better person? Will I grow from this experience? Yeah, it all works together. But it all goes back to the Holy Spirit. Do you notice that? It all goes back to the Holy Spirit. Jesus filled with the Spirit, born of the Spirit, talks about the Holy Spirit more than any other topic. And, of course, we're, we're just beginning to talk about the Holy Spirit here. But the basis of receiving the Holy Spirit every day is to desire it. Do something to receive it. Read, study, pray, and share. And say, Lord, bring someone into my life that I can share your love with. Will he do that? And that's really important to us. Availability. So here's a plan, and it's important to even write it out. Because if I say I desire to study more, pray more, but I don't have a plan, am I likely going to do it? Because, you see, 99% of my thoughts are the same ones I had yesterday. A plan is a conscious effort 
of putting down something that you're going to commit yourself to. And when you write that down, are you more likely to do it? Now, don't make it unrealistic. Don't write down, I'm going to read the Bible in a day. But what will you do that is doable? Whatever you start with can change. You can begin with two chapters a day in the gospel. And maybe you'll do four. But it's always important to have a beginning. Because if there's no beginning, there's no journey. And that journey, of course, begins with Christ as our first work. But I can guarantee you this. Once you start as your first work in the morning to express your desire to be like Jesus, you exercise your faith to be like Jesus, that phone's going to ring. And the devil's going to try to get you to be so busy that you're too busy to be saved. That's the war we're in. And you got to have temperance. You're going to have to guard that time. And if you say that time is at 6 in the morning for a half hour, then stick to it. It can change. It can grow. But the devil's going to challenge you. And he's going to try to disrupt that time. But you got to say, the first commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Which means that you will always give God the best and first and most in your life. And that there isn't anything else that would take you away from the very thing that gives you spiritual life. Because without that, we ultimately have nothing. And so this becomes important for us every day that we commit ourselves, each one of us every day, to have a devotional life. We don't have to all do the same thing, but we all need to be doing something. Um, and let each one of us pray that God would bring someone into our life to be a blessing. And just make that commitment each and every day, and God will open doors for us that we've never seen. I know he does that for me personally. I wind up meeting people I would have never met otherwise. And God has these divine appointments for us. And I look forward in sharing some ministry ideas of things we can do to reach people and uh, in the coming weeks and months. But I want to say that I'm, I'm very thankful to be part of this mission here. And uh, I know God's got precious souls out there that will be sitting in here not too long from now. And God will use them as well, equally, to see this work finished. And uh, may God continue to bless you and your families each and every day. And please think about, talk about your, you know, talk about when's a good time for a visit. Because I want to visit you. That will be my joy, is to visit you, pray with you. So think about what you're going to study. Think about what you think you might enjoy doing in ministry. And maybe you have questions about certain topics in the Bible. And we can study those. That's really, I think, what my role is, is to help you be successful. Our closing prayer, our closing hymn, 369.